What's up, guys, and welcome to episode number five of the Jason Juliet podcast, and I am going to jump right into announcements. First and foremost, I want to announce some business partnerships that I'm going to be entering into because the people involved in those businesses have already been so, so helpful to everything that I'm doing here and will continue to be, no doubt, in the future. The first of those is Heather Lemon. So Heather is going to be the one behind the camera for most of what you see moving forward for the Jason Juliet podcast. I met Heather at Podcast Movements, which was the podcasting convention I went to in Philly uh, during my tour this summer. And when I started talking about what I wanted to do moving forward with the podcast, and when she started talking about the ideas she had for her business and photography and some of the projects she wanted to do, there was just a lot of overlap. So we decided to give a couple projects a try. Everything's been working out fantastically so far. So you're going to be hearing a lot more about her and you'll be seeing a lot more of her work because pretty much all my stuff is going to be hers. Uh, the other person that I want to announce is Mr. Andy Wilkerson. So Andy is actually the owner of podpub.co. That's P-O-D-P-U-B.co. And that is the company who is going to be hosting my podcast moving forward. And Andy is the genius behind my website. So the brand new website, jasonjuliet.com, has now launched. Most of you have probably seen that. If you haven't, you can head over there and everything is on there. It's basically the website that I tried to design earlier in the summer but did not have the expertise to do. Andy, of course, has that expertise and that is why he does what he does. Uh, the website is beautiful. I couldn't be more happy with it. So to Andy and to Heather at hellophotola.com, that's also, I think I might have forgot to mention Heather's website. You can find all of the details for Heather and her social media links at hellophotola.com. Uh, so to both of those people, thank you very much for what you've done so far, and I look forward to working with both of you in the future. The website is up, so please head over there for all the details on the show. And without further ado, I bring you my guest for today, Dap the Contract. This was one of the most impressive people that I met on tour. He was also, as I mentioned in the interview, the first person that I didn't personally know before I interviewed. So I was a little bit nervous going into the interview on how it would go, but man, what an impressive human being. I can't wait for you. I'm not even going to say anything more. This man's name is Delacqua Kinkobe, but you can call him Dap the Contract. And with that, I give you my guest of episode number five of the Jason Juliet podcast, Dap the Contract. We're live. All right, I'm here with Dap the Contract, and we are sitting in, I guess technically this is Harlem? This is Harlem, Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan, Harlem. I actually used to, I didn't tell you this, I used to yeah. live right around the corner. Really? At 3333 Broadway, right up here. I guess it's not right around the corner, but it's yeah. on 135th and Broadway. We're on 115th yeah, in Amsterdam. Street, kind of, pretty yeah. close, pretty close. Well, so, cool. so I want to jump right in and tell people how we met and how this whole thing got started. Yeah. So... I'm out, the guy that did the music for this podcast, his name's Dimitri Libman, he lives out in Philly, and his band, Young Thieves, came in and they had a show in New York City, and I happened to be in town for the weekend and decided to come to the show, and you're there playing, opening up for them, and how did that whole show happen? Um, so, the person who started Life, it's called Life From Dinner, the person who started Life From Dinner, um, his name's uh, Jordan Schatz, um, and he... 
I've sort of done PR with him in the past for other projects I've put out. Um, and he's, he's trying to set up this thing for bringing the two art forms of cooking and musicians as well. And there's also a live artist doing a drawing at the time uh, during the show. So, but, so that was the premise of it, and he just invited me to be one of the performers with the first one. Yeah, they said something like that. They said that it was like a meal... Like the chef had designed meals based on some of the members of the band. Like exactly. Dimitri was Russian, so they made he made like a Russian dish for Dimitri and like etc. Yeah. Through them, that was really neat. I had never heard of anything. Yeah, like it was that awesome. Before. My my contribution was a brownie. Also, my favorite dessert was really the most boring human on the planet <laughs> said a brownie, and he was like, "Okay, I'll make some brownies then." <laughs> yeah, we could do a brownie. Yeah. So so I get there. Dap the contract is opening up. Tell me the name. Where did the name come from? Okay, so my name. So my my. Government name, I guess what you call it, is Dolakbo Akinkube. Um, and so I first started off as a classical pianist, and we'll get into all this, but I only wanted to produce. So it was Dolakbo Akinkube Productions. That's, it was actually DAP, it's an acronym, right? Okay. And then when I turned about uh, 17, 18, a friend of mine and I formed a duo called The Contract. So okay. it's actually a duo. So, and then he had to stop making music temporarily for, for a certain reason. So I just sort of put them both together. Wow. Okay. So I want to tell everybody why I, I actually approached you and asked you to be on this podcast. And you're the first guest that I've interviewed. I think this is my, uh, George. Yeah. I think this is going to be my fourth interview, but you're the first one that I've interviewed that I'd never met before that I didn't have any contact with before because I've been going through and saying, okay, well, I got to start out with, you know, friends and people I know. And I saw you playing there and I was hearing the music and I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. Like there was something that was different. There was something unique about your music and your style that I noticed right away. And it just, it stuck out. Like you could be walking through the room and like your head just kept turning. Like there was different things happening. So yeah, you you mentioned briefly the classical piano thing and now going into the rap thing. Like, like walk me through your musical history. Like how did you get to... So I usually start at... My mom was a piano teacher, but I recently found out, which is crazy that I recently found this out. Thanks, mom. But <laughs> my grand, my great-grandmother on my mother's side um, was one of the first females in a sort of like a theater production in where my mom's from in Nigeria, and I never knew that. So it really, music has been in our family for generations. Okay. My mom was a piano teacher for a long time um, before she went into finance. Um, so all my three I have two other siblings, um, and all of us been playing the piano since about four or five years old. Wow. So okay. we're all fully classically trained. So you guys know what's I'm up. Gonna, so you, yeah. got, you, got a, you got a household where everybody's on the keys. And like my it. mom's siblings and on my dad's side as well, that the whole extended family is musical. So for, for 10 years, we did a, a charity Christmas concert in Nigeria and all the proceeds went to like, um, what you call it, technolo- technology education for students in Nigeria, oh, like wow. buying equipment and stuff. So it's really like a whole family thing. And me and my sister happen to be the ones who, this is our primary slash maybe secondary um, professions. And so how long were you in Nigeria before you, like how old were you when you first came over yeah. to the States? Okay. Or? I'm going to take you through the whole thing. So I was, yeah, I was let's born, born, born and raised in Nigeria, always maintained that I'm from Nigeria. When people ask where I live, I live in Nigeria. I don't live in Harlem or New York or the US or London. I live in Nigeria. My whole family's there. I've never missed Christmas at home. That's where, wow. I, that's where I always touch base and where I always come back to. That's awesome. home, okay. right? Um, started playing the piano when I was four, all classically trained, and then went to boarding school in London when I was 10, middle school and high school. And when I was 14 in high school, this was 2007-ish, so Lil Wayne is the biggest rapper in the world. Yep. Young money and like conglomerates are a thing. 
So my friends are like, oh, that's so cool. We're 14 years old. They're like, we got to start a rap group. Okay, well, you're the musical one. You make the beats. So, okay. And that was perfect because I was a very shy, very awkward, very So you sort of shunned the spotlight. Sweet little kid. I didn't know. I, I loved the position of number two. I love that position. As crazy as that sounds, I think... I keep stepping away from the mic, sorry. But no, I you're think, good, you're good. I think they're not given enough credit. Producers aren't given enough credit. And number two, in different regards, management, like any career is usually built by a team. It's not one person. Absolutely. So I love being the person on the side of stage, just knowing, yeah, that's my hi-hat. I, I, I forced him to leave that line in there. We took that out. Yep. I had that choir. And let you go shine and be the star, because I'm too shy and awkward to do it anyways, right? Right. And so through high school, slowly my friends, one by one, just all started... Well, rap was kind of a fad or it's, nah, I'm not feeling as successful as I thought I was going to be with it and not as fun anymore. And everyone just sort of one by one kind of stopped doing it. But having played the piano for 10 years already at that point, at age 14, I already seen how much you improve over the span of a decade doing something if you just stick with it. Right. And you could see you had like the familial, just the constant reminder there exactly. of how good you can get if you just keep at exactly. it. Exactly. Which is that one of the things I thank my parents for like... That's like starting something at the age of three or four. I also started playing soccer at the age of three, two, really, before I did music. So doing those things from that early really gives you an opportunity that you can't exchange without just time and experience. You can't do it. It really does. Yeah. So I, I talk, I actually talk about that a lot about how any sort of like physical skill that you learn before puberty. It is just for life. It's can, locked with you. Can with tell you. the difference, yeah. Usually between people who started at a certain time, because this it's a more natural. It's like you you breathe it. You just yep. it's easy. Um, so through high school, everyone sort of stopped one by one, and I sort of by default, knowing how much I loved music, knew I had to just figure it out. So I I went to English class. I paid attention. I liked poetry. I also, when I first moved to the UK, started taking Latin and Greek for the first time. And that was mostly like scansion and rhythms and rhyme. And the poetry was my favorite thing. I enjoyed the prose too, but that was, that really caught me. I actually studied classics as an undergrad at Brown. And so just, just to catch up here real quick, this was when you were 10. Yeah. When so I was, you started I, studying these other languages and all was, this. When I was like, 12, just before I went to high school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, that's way better then. No, <laughs> not, not nearly as impressive. It's just like, oh man. Uh, yeah. So, and for, for some reason I took, maybe because of, I know that was a big thing, like this, like scanning iambic pentameter and writing the rhythms above right. the words. That was my favorite thing about class and both subjects all the time. My teachers used to like give me 10 things to scan because I would finish them too quickly and just, well, that's all I wanted to do. Wow. So I think I just figured out that, okay, I have the music. I know how to make beats now. I can learn how to rap. It's going to take me a while. I, I, can, I can rap now and hear how bad I am, but I know if I stick at it, and I'm diligent about improving, I'll get better. So right. I just kept doing it. And I put on my first mixtape when I was 18 and just refused to stop. I just became addicted to it, fell in love with it, and just never stopped since. So how old are you now, if I could ask? I'm 25 now. 25 now. Yeah. So you've been doing this for seven years, like going hard. Yeah. And Every, I, this is all I think about all day. Yeah. So yeah. like, it's that true dedication to the craft. And, and you know, I, I can sort of relate to that. Back when I was playing music, it was the same thing. It was like 100% dedication to the craft and like anything, I, nothing mattered except trying to move this forward. And now you're even yeah. starting to position other things in your life that are seemingly uninvolved with music. You're starting to bring those into your music too. Exactly. When I was reading about you and when I was checking out some other stuff, one of the things that I couldn't believe, I found out that you're a law student. Yeah. So 
so just to catch everybody up real quick, so your your home is Nigeria. Mm-hmm. At 10, 12 years old, you go to the UK yep. for, for boarding school. You start learning all these things about iambic, iambic pentameter. You start learning about the different languages. You start really coming to grips with this stuff, getting good at it. You release your first tape when you're 18. Mm-hmm. Then you come to America, yeah. join, uh, or I'm sorry, get into law school, earn yeah. your way into law school. Yeah. And now you're trying to use that also as sort of the, you're trying to be your own lawyer, releasing all this stuff. Dude, that is an insane story. <laughs> like, that is, I'm so glad. I was, you know, I didn't know. I was like, oh, man, I don't even know that guy. And I invited him on the podcast, and I started reading this stuff. And I was like, holy crap. Like, I'm so glad I got this guy on this Thank show. You. I'm glad you asked me to do this, man. Yeah, man, this, this is really cool. This, this is awesome. So you have an album coming out that is Based, even though you're a classically trained pianist, you yeah. have an album coming out that is mainly based around the guitar. Yeah. So talk so, about that. Um, so I produce all my own stuff, right? So, and but I can only I used to play the viola and the flute, but not to a very as high level as the piano. Right. But with the piano, because it's such a fundamental instrument, I can do almost almost theory. everything. Yeah. yeah. So I can all I need is a MIDI keyboard and a software, and I can have horns. I can do strings. I can program all my drums, the bass lines sampling so that's what I've always I started with sampling because Kanye West was one of the first hip hop artists I really fell in love with like okay. hearing songs that I'd grown up listening to in Motown and things like that re-articulated in such an interesting way that was the first thing that really like that was the first bug I caught before I even knew I really loved music I just this sampling thing blew my mind when I was like six or seven when my sister introduced me to it. I remember the first time I heard sampling or somebody showed it to me and I was like equally in awe because yeah. it was just like, wait, you can do what? Yeah, you like can just hit this button and this thing, whole thing happens? But it's completely like, different. And it's yeah. like, is this legal? First of all, are you allowed to do that? How do you, right. but it's not the same, but it's the same, but it just blew my mind that you can really remake a whole new song and give an old song a new energy and they'd be two completely separate things, but they both, necessarily work together yeah because like through the wire for example that brought through the fire back like you, you often see with songs that people sample come back on the billboard charts absolutely for example, things like that. so yep. that was the first thing that caught my my eye but as i got older and i realized how much of an advantage i have understanding music so deeply i started moving away from sampling more and more and wanting Huge. to just make everything myself like the chords harmonies record them myself my own voice or ask my sister or the other musicians I know and just try and do things like record with guitarists record with bass players record live drums and things like that so this EP the reason for some reason I just I started learning that's not you can't really recreate everything with a MIDI keyboard so I can play bass lines fairly simply I can. So I know. Away. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to tell a classically trained pianist not to tap on the table. Yeah, good luck with that. My my dad I'm used trying. to literally like smack me because I wouldn't stop banging on stuff with the, the drums. <laughs> yeah, because I was you know same oh, thing. Oh man. Yeah. Same, my I, mom, I, I can't my mom I is so glad that I'm not a drummer. Yeah. I know she would have because I was already a nightmare playing scales at six a.m. in the morning. Oh like, yeah. She knows. And, and you, you it would have been a problem if I was a drummer. You could tell your mother if she ever wants <laughs> to talk to my mother. Oh, that poor woman. Nightmare. Oh, it was nightmare. terrible. A drum set in the house. It's just <laughs> they're, they're, don't ever buy your kids drums. Like if you want to get your kids interested in music, get them a piano or a guitar. Yeah. Don't get them drums. Like, oh. But anyway. Yeah. So I started figuring out that the one thing that I really enjoyed the sound of because it's, it, it has a certain brightness to it that you, I couldn't hear in any other instruments and it's percussive at the same time because yeah. that's why it's one of the, the main instruments in the band because it provides rhythm to an extent. Um, 
and I could have played on a MIDI keyboard and make it sound right. It sounds like a keyboard playing the guitar, doesn't sound yep. like a guitar. Whereas a horn, you can get by, str strings you can get by with. So I decided to just find a bunch of guitar samples and start there because I can't play the guitar, unfortunately. And then I figured I'll just get my friend who plays the guitar to help me replay things or come up with new ideas when I could lock in with him. So was um, a big was a big part of that challenge like trying to find like the correct notes to ring through and the correct layers in the scale to make sure that it sounds like a guitar and it's definitely. not like okay. it's definitely that and and mainly just the the feel and the touch like strumming you can't really yeah. strum horizontally it's, you know what I mean it's <laughs> yeah. just a different. I'm using hands to describe. I, I no know, one can but, see, but, but no, yeah, it's, it's it's like there's a physical hand motion that you make when you're playing the piano, and it does exactly. not translate into the way the guitar sounds. Exactly, when and you're it sounds slightly artificial. Most people might not notice, but with my musician ear, I I get irritated yep. when I hear super fake horns and super fake strings, and I'm like, you couldn't even just mix it differently. Like, We're, so I wanted to make it as authentic as possible. Okay, um, and so that was the first point of contact with this EP, and then I guess just summertime, just in the middle of February, March, just the I always notice how much people anticipate summer and how like in the middle of summer it's like snow doesn't exist. Like you can't even remember what it feels like to be cold. Right. And then um, Oh, is that is that your friend? A, yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, we're recording. You could start anywhere yeah. we're like in the middle of summer and Yeah, so I, I always notice how much people anticipate the summer and almost forget how it feels like to be cold. And in the winter, completely forget what it feels like to be warm and cozy outside, I mean, right? right. So I wanted summer to be an element, and I wanted it to be the guitar, and the, the brightness of the guitar I thought would suit the summer. So that's where the inspiration came from. Um, and the title, Everybody Falls in the Summer, is actually from a Chance the Rapper song, who's one of my favorite artists. Okay. And he, has a, he has a song where, he's, where he says, everybody dies in the summer, talking about Chicago and how when it's summertime, that's when most of the killings happen, right? Yeah. Um, so it was sort of a, a play on that and also a play on the seasons of fall, yeah. fall and summer and, and, and love as well. That's one of the main themes in a lot of my music. So sort of bringing all those things together is where I got the title from. And the music is slightly different from the most recent things I've put out. It's more, it's, it's more acoustic, more live sounding music because I wanted it to be instrumental right. and real players and stuff. Um, but also similar to projects I put out earlier in my career where I was sort of just experimenting and figuring things out. But I think it sounds closer to that than the more recent stuff. Now, talk about, like, you had to get inspiration to write a summer album in February. What was that like? I mean, how did, did you just, like, watch some summer movies, <laughs> like, you know, open up the windows? That's or always so interesting to me because I think about how people make Christmas albums in August. June, or yeah. <laughs> so, and also Kanye has a line where he says... Um, show you how I cook up summer in the winter, and like I always thought, how how because if you're exactly if you're a, do you cook yeah, up summer if, if in you're the an winter? Established <laughs> artist, you're making music out of sync. Unless it takes exactly a year to prepare everything for yeah. release, you're kind of six months out. So you're kind of like always not in. It's very the anticipatory mental space. Yeah, like location wise, there's so many things change before you put the music out. Um, but I had things from last summer that I could sort of rehash and ideas that I never completed. But honestly, I'm a pure artist. I really act like an artist. My friends will tell you I'm sensitive like an artist. So I can sort of build any sound I want for any feel, any, um, what do you call it, any season, just based on my emotions. I was just going to say, In the hour, yeah. 
not even the day. Within the two hours, I can make a trap hip hop song and the most soulful, like neo soul record. So Sick, for like, you, it's truly about getting in touch with the emotional state that you need exactly. to be in to write that kind of music. You put yourself in that state, and it pours yeah. out. And as the emotional cycle That's and brilliant. come back, I kind of just okay. Well, I've made five songs. They all sound different, but this is the one that suits the theme, and so I just keep drawing them in. And then other projects come out of that at the same time because other things get put away for later on to come back to. You know, so right. So. This this style of yours obviously incredibly unique. Talk to me about some of your influences. You mentioned Kanye. You mentioned yeah. Little Wayne. Actually, I think was the first yeah. one you mentioned. But hey, hey, whatever gets you in. Man, I mean. So I again just because of my classical training and my family being really musical, I grew up on everything. You truly so span the Afrobeat high life. Genres. I grew up on house music. I grew up on disco music, dance music, jazz. Everything. The only person in my family that doesn't play an instrument except sing is my dad. And we always joke that he has more musical knowledge than all of us. He listens to the most music. He has the biggest music library. Really? Like but he, he's the one that he doesn't, doesn't play. He doesn't play an instrument. Like huh. My family is just really... I just grew up... Every every Sunday is gospel music on the way to church. BB and CC Winans. Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston's Christmas albums. Yep. I know front to back, word for word, ad lib <laughs> and run for ad lib and run. Like everything. So... I kind of can make whatever I want. And what I enjoy the most is because I've grown up in these three different places at very like fundamental stages of my life. I like blending things and finding common right. ground between things and like juxtaposing different things. So I have, a, I have a song called Heaven, which is two parts. And part one is like an opera from my British like schoolboy, like choirboy days. Right. And then the second half is like a very hard trap hip hop half of it. Yeah. So I love I love doing things like that. And so my mom will listen to the first half and be like, "Oh, I didn't even know you could you could make this. I thought you just rap." And then the second <laughs> half comes in and she's like, "Oh, I can't listen to this. This is too vulgar." <laughs> and then my friends listen to it and they're like, "What is this? What is this weird thing at the beginning? Is this? Are you sure this is a song you meant to send?" Right. And then the second half comes in and they're like, "Oh, wait." So like th- complete that, I really reciprocals that, of each know? other. Yeah. So I really take influences from everywhere, and because I'm classically trained, I understand the building blocks of all this music, so I can take them apart and put them back together however I like. So this is something I actually, I I had written this down as a question, but I wasn't sure if I I was going to ask you just because, you know, some people are hesitant, but I I feel really confident with the background that you have in in such a strong classical training and theory and everything else. Where do you think rap and hip hop are today? Like, as far as where they map onto our society, everything like that, I mean, there's, I think I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Definitely. I feel like it, it's such a broad genre. I mean, yeah. from the stuff that's mainstream to the stuff that's underground, what you see on you know MTV or here on the radio or YouTube compared stuff. to like the guys that are out there like slinging mixtapes and like really trying yeah. to do it. So like, like your SoundCloud artist, that's like the new underground. Sort really? Oh, I, I guess know it that. was. I, that, that's how I kind of look at it. SoundCloud is sort of the independent underground stuff that so, you're cool if you know about it exists but if i can date yeah. myself for a second would that be like the new myspace for bands and, and musicians because exactly. i mean when and i was coming up in florida it was like everybody had myspace that's all you had yeah. there was no and facebook the, and the crazy thing is now that it's the old myspace for bands because yeah. things just move so quickly the soundcloud is almost done at this point wow okay like i didn't even know it was there yeah, so okay, that's news to me so many people blew up off soundcloud the mainstream today and it's already becoming not the go-to place to, to get started as an independent artist, but other things always will come in its place. Okay. But um, current state of hip-hop, see, everything always circles back to my upbringing and my 
classical training because I think it forces me to be open-minded. So it's, it's very easy to be dismissive of a lot of these younger artists and focus on the lyrical content not being up to snuff or the sonics being too simple. It's just a bunch of hi-hats that sound like... People always say it sounds like... Um, like a, a watering gun, like the, the yeah. water fly, I forget what they're called, like a sprinkler. <laughs> the, the like water water sprinkler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always say hi hats sound like that. It's the same snare on every song. They're all using 808. And, but yeah. But I think the reason you can have that many songs that people love that sound so similar is because they've tapped into a certain energy and a certain bounce and feel. And I think they don't get enough credit because one, they're young, so people automatically think they don't really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, these some of these kids are multi-millionaires. Yeah, like, for example, a little Yadi, like he's a very intelligent businessman. First of all, for his age, let's remember that he's maybe I think he's twenty one now, just turned wow. twenty one years old. You don't have a Sprite deal and <laughs> these deals just by I just made some silly music and had a good manager and got somewhere. right. Like, right, he knows what he's doing. All these trolls that are really doing too much on social media is too much, but they know exactly what they're doing. That's how, unfortunately, I think the market moves at this point. So I, I think on more on the music side, I think it just takes getting used to. I think it's more highlighted now because there's social media, so everyone can hear it. And it's some of it bleeds into the radio and mainstream. So you hear it and you're like, oh my God, music is in a rubbish state or hip hop is in a rubbish state. But it was always like that. There was always good music and there was always really trashy music, but it all kind of found its place. Where do you think, you just mentioned social media and social media is something that's always sort of on the back of my mind because I, I think I'm inclined to not use social media in my real life, but then, you know, doing these creative ventures, you have to use social media or, or you fail. Where do you... How do you make that balance? Like, are you one of those people that tried that wished you could shy away from it, and this is just unfortunately the business you're in, or living in three different countries on three different continents? Yeah. Does this is is it something that helps you keep in touch with people? Where where do you stand I, on I social think, media? I think that's that's where it's so funny. This is really the whole world right now because I'm st I'm studying this in terms of data privacy and like trying to regulate Facebook as on the legal side, and then also dealing with it. Personally, like I, I was just talking to a friend of mine who told me this book um, called 10 Reasons Why You Should Delete Your Social Media Today and posted the book and then deleted his, and deleted his Instagram and probably all his social media. Um, so I'm also, I don't know if you believe in star signs, but I'm a Gemini, right? Okay. So as I've explained, a lot of my life is juxtaposing and polarizing. Okay. So bringing two <laughs> things together, right? So I wish it didn't exist, I think. Our minds would be a lot more peaceful. Our emotional, our, our mental state in general would just be a lot healthier. But at the same time, you do have people who are 60 plus years old who never knew how to get in contact with their best friend from high school. Yeah, they lost it, contact with. And, it's, and it's a special those aren't thing. the stories you hear that, on the news. Exactly. And that's where it started. That's I remember when Facebook first came about. My I remember my mom being like, oh my God, I, can, I don't even know how I found this person. But some algorithm brought yeah. this high school friend of mine to me. And, and that, yep. that's the beauty of it. But... With everything in life, you give it enough time and eventually it starts to get toyed with and watered down and things start to go left. Um, so I think, I think it's probably more positive than it is negative. We just haven't had the time yet to figure out how to deal with it. Exactly. But I think the best outcome from it is social media generally is that people have a lot more access and it's making people more independent. Well... You would think it, it gives people it the opportunity make more people. To, make, yeah, exactly. to be able to do things on their own, although it does mean 
you're watching everyone else or comparing yourself to everyone else. I think it's yeah, yeah it's just pros and cons like with everything. Yeah, I, but I, I, I think it's especially someone like me who really cares about keeping my rights as a musician. It's a very useful tool to be able to do the things that you would need a label to do in the past myself. Right, you could take care of your own marketing yeah. as opposed to getting a loan, having somebody else do it, like you yeah. said. Now you've mentioned a couple times now making sure like doing law school so that you won't have to sign away the rights to your music so you can be in control of your own future. So walk me yeah. through that. I mean, is it just one day you're like, ah, I saw this guy, a lawyer took advantage of him, so I'm just going to go to law school and do my own thing. I mean, that's a huge commitment. Yeah. Um, I think that it was always sort of in the back of my mind and my dad from fairly early, probably when I was 15 or so, 16, just started noticing certain characteristics I had that he thought would make me a good lawyer. So that's where it started. He just sort of said, oh, I, th I think you should go to law school. That might be a good idea. Um, so I sort of ended up at the end of high school with Latin and Greek being my the, the combination of my best subjects and my favorite subjects. Wow. So I took Latin, Greek, maths, and further maths for A-level. Right? Okay. So I applied to study classics. So you to, struggled in school is yeah. what you were saying. You had a real tough time in I did, school. I did, I did very my best. Difficult I, tried. <laughs> I tried hard. But I, I studied classics and I did a minor in music at Brown. Um, and I knew I didn't want to be a classics teacher and I was just very limited options with a classics degree. They always tell you you can do anything, but it's really you can teach or you can do anything and you're probably going to need something else to help you yeah. be able to do anything else you want to <laughs> do, right? So, but the law just seemed aligned with my skills, my interests. And I think the final piece of that decision was my music starting to pick up some steam and starting to interact with labels and not big labels, indie labels and getting contracts and seeing what that really looked like and doing internships at entertainment firms that, that dealt with artist contracts and things like that and just seeing what people were going through and then noticing what I was reading in real life, like noticing, because they don't tell you any of what's going on behind the scenes, but starting to see, oh, that's why that artist's album didn't come out. That's why this person tweets, I hate my label, and then deletes it five minutes later. Like, okay, what's what's really really going on and here? And you just why? said in real time, you're studying like Facebook law and different stuff like that. Like they're using exactly. examples in law school from social media. So that's got to be incredibly valuable exactly. to you. You know, so it just became a thing of seeing one particular contract. I won't say who sent it to me. They know who they are. Um, that was, it just, it, when I saw the contract, I thought I had missed something. That's what it felt like. I felt like they thought either that I was really stupid or there was another page missing. Right. So, so it was like, just sort of like no advance, like, and I produce everything myself. So I'm already cutting a lot of costs. I produce it out of my bedroom and I can make high quality music out of my bedroom with a keyboard and a laptop and a microphone. Right. I'm sure. No advance. They want 50% of profits. They want... I can't, they want to own the rights for the whole world, so I can't even have a different deal in Nigeria or the US. And they're based in London, it's an indie label in the UK. And so seeing that contract really, frankly, just pissed me off. And at that point, I realized that, okay, I, I can do this myself, one. Number two, it wouldn't even be worth it because they're either not realizing my worth or my potential or my ability or this is standard, in which case I don't want to deal with yeah, this anyways. So either way you cut it, this is just, this is just I don't want anything to do with yeah. it. Yeah. And then I'm reading things about this headline of, oh, somebody just bought Prince's catalog and sold it to this person and the Beatles catalog. And no one is selling my catalog back and forth. No one is 
withholding my music and I can't release my music because I signed a contract and someone owns me. Like that, that now, whole I know idea. so many bands that are in that situation. I, and I can't handle that because I'm a lunatic. Like <laughs> I love this too much that if you're messing with my music, you're messing with my life. Right. So I'm not playing that game with, I'm not even going to put you in the position to put me in the position where I'm going to be fuming with someone. That's so, amazing, man. So, I so was that sort decided, of like this, this like, or not, not to cut you off, but yeah. was that sort of a big encouragement? Like, was that sort of lit the fire under you that made you say, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to make sure that this never happens to me. Was that the... Yeah, it was, it was pretty much that and understanding that it didn't need to happen tomorrow. A lot of the artists that I've seen get screwed over, it kind of happened too quickly. They didn't know what was even going on. Okay. Um, and also a lot of musicians are broke. It just it, it, t- it, it just covered so many bases for me and gave me such an advantage that I didn't see how it could be a negative thing. The only thing is that it does take a lot of discipline and a lot of hard work. Absolutely. Because I'm in law school and I'm still having to keep up the same. I can't, doing both can't mean that they both suffer. That yeah. was the deal. My dad always made sure I understood that. Like I had this thing where my senior year in, um, as an undergrad, I got this opportunity to record at Abbey Road Studios with Mark Ronson. Wow. And this was a week before I took the LSAT. So I had a conversation with my dad, which is like, I got this opportunity. Can I go? And he's like, fly to London the week before you take the LSAT? No. His first, his first reaction was a straight no. And I had to sort of like, okay, you need to understand how big this is, how much I want this, how capable I am of doing both. If I, if I convince you that I'm capable of doing both and neither suffering... Will you let me do it? And that was the deal. Like if you if you do it, your LSAT can't you can't toy with that. That's, right, you need you, that. You can't do you both know? of them at eighty exactly. percent. You got to do both of them at hundred. It, it dictates so many things that are to come. The school you get into, with the, the network you have, the opportunities you have past that, you can't play with that because you wanted to go do some music in London, <laughs> which is how he looked at it. Right. Right. So which I knew, and he's I knew not what, entirely and he's wrong. Not, and, he's he's not, not wrong. and that's why I'm here because I really trust my parents. People really rebel against their parents because they think the generation gap is so big that they just don't know what's going on and you don't know and like social media you don't know technology and what I can do and I listen to my parents when they speak because I know they understand that I, I'll get it done right. so I heard him when he said there's nothing worse than a dumb musician like I think you should stay in school I think you should do well in school I think you should get a law degree because I think it'll help you in life and talking about other, the basis that it covers getting a law degree right financing my own projects. I can earn a salary. It's up to me to work full-time and earn that salary and to use the remaining time I have when I'm exhausted to have the discipline to then go and do my music and get it done. Man, that's that, on, that's, that's, on, that's, the sac- that's the sacrifice. People always ask me, like, how do you do both? I'm like, I do both, but I really don't have much time to do much else except these two things. I it know. Takes I was, man, every that part is... of me, you know what I'm saying? So, but that's, I want this that bad. I'm willing to do that because I see the value of the law the degree, the network, the information. And I want to do things. I'm, artists think that you can... It's like being a footballer. If you're a footballer, you know you can't play football till you're 80 years old, right? Right. Artists seem to think that you can do this forever. Like, There's going to be a point where things are going to start to turn down. Whenever your peak is, you plateau, eventually it starts to come down. So at the back end of my career, I can set up a legal entertainment practice and help other artists. I can, oh, wow. There's so many... There's so, too much value in that for, for the decision to simply be... Your music's really dope. I think you can make it. Drop out of school. Here's a contract and let's go. That makes, that sounds crazy, but it really, people signed those deals. Why I got a contract like that? It wasn't because they thought I was stupid. It's because they send that to people. People send it back with a signature on it. So it's, 
how willing are you to make the sacrifice and and do it? I it matters too much to me to do it my way. So I'm willing to do this. So so I dude, I got to tip my hat to you. I'm sitting here listening to this like my jaws on the floor. But I think that there's nowadays there's so many people that are trying to take shortcuts. You know, and yeah. like shortcut has become the way things are. Even earlier when you were talking about what a skill set it is and what an advantage you have being a classically trained musician because a lot of the current generation doesn't want to take the time to, to do some stuff like that exactly. and to really put the work in. Like everybody wants something faster and quicker and easier and a shortcut and, you know, cut out the hard work and just tell me what I need to take away from this. And you're basically going in the face of all that and saying, I'm going to go deeper than you, harder than years. you. Long. Like cool. we're going to, we're going to, yeah, 20 years, no problem. Oh, wait. Like it's it, the slow burn is way more worth it than Absolutely. I wake up tomorrow and I'm famous and then I wake up the day after. Yeah, exactly. About That's 24 hours later yeah. and your record company's like, guess what you owe us? Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I paid attention to my favorite artists and how long it took them to, to get there. And then for the most part, they were very slow and very consistently moving forward, which is what I've, I've been sure to do. Every project, even if it's slight, it's definitely better than the last. It's a higher quality there's more thought put into marketing. There's more thought put into the theme and the concept. It's more cohesive if, if I'm going for something like that as opposed to a bunch of individual songs thrown together. So okay. Time and timing, not just the amount of time, but when it happens. Like that deal that I got, if I had signed that and I had dropped out of school and blown up, yeah, I could have made it, but I don't think I was ready to handle what comes with, with everything. Because there's a lot more that comes. You don't just get successful and life is great. You get successful and your privacy disappears. Right. Any sense of normalcy disappears. Like times, valuable time with parents, family, like loved ones. It it changes so many things that you have to be prepared to handle that. A lot of people go crazy. A lot of people go broke because they weren't ready to handle what comes with all of this. And, and I think that that's a great illustration. Like we were, we were talking briefly off, uh, off air and, and saying about how I really want to offer people that are listening to this podcast in general, like just knowledge so that they can help navigate, you know, a better space in the world and, and understand things. And I think that that is such a powerful lesson, especially because there's a lot of musicians in my audience and aspiring musicians in my audience to know that, musicians are preyed upon, actors are preyed upon. I was just doing an interview earlier today. It's the same, the type of contract that you're describing, it was sort of the same types of things they send young act. Anybody who is saying, I will do anything to make it, there's a business guy out there who cannot wait to get your money. And the fact that you said, you know what, I'm going to learn more about every single piece of this puzzle than you guys know. I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to take the time to do it, and I'm going to be untouchable. And I think the only difference is when you say, I'll do anything, people don't really think about what that means. Like, if you would do anything, <laughs> yeah. you would wait. You wouldn't just go sign the first thing. Like, that's, that shouldn't be what doing anything means. Either that or your definition of success is slightly different. Right. So. I, I think a lot of people speak in, in phrases like that, but they don't really contemplate the true meaning of, of what, yeah. I mean, exactly like you just said, they don't think, oh, well, what if I have to turn down five contracts before I get to the sixth? Exactly. Or what if I actually have to go and get a four-year degree so I can learn how to master this one part of the music industry because nobody else in my band knows how to do it and things. Like when you talk about doing anything to really make it, there's, that's a oh, high level of commitment. What, imagine what you have to do when you do sign the deal. 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't really know about that you thought it was a great deal and then they tell you, oh, but you have to go here and here and here. You have to work with this person. You have to do this song. You can't do this song and we have the right to tell you you can't do this song. You can't put this out at this time. And then it's like, is that everything that you said you were willing to do <laughs> anything for? Like, yeah. So listen, man, you, you've already alluded to this a little bit, but like, where do you see this going in, you know, the next few years? Or do you, like, you obviously, I, I'm not even going to ask if you have a long-term plan. You probably got yeah. one. You probably have every week for the next, like, 20 years planned out. But bullet points without sort of, like, giving out any trade secrets, like, where, where's this going? Um, this, is, this is the thing. It's easy to say everything I've just said, but doing it is a whole different ballgame. So I think I have the right idea of how I want to do this. But I honestly think about this every day of how I, I look at it as sort of two or three chunks where I'm going to have to make a big decision. So deciding I went to Brown and then I took a year off and I took a year off to just I got into Columbia and then deferred for a year. So I had a year to just work on music and do an internship at the same time. Um, that decision was hard because my parents wanted me to go straight through. That was one of those moments. Now I'm in law school. I finished my first year, which is the notoriously worst year of your life. Except the, to take the bar. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think my next big decision will be sort of the beginning of my third year. Like what, what I do that I have a lot more free time in my third year. And how long do I work? Where do I work? Where do I get an offer from? How long do I work there before moving somewhere else? Or do I stay there? And, and also a big factor for me is when do I move to Nigeria? Because okay. I, had a, I had a very important conversation with my mom about four years ago now. Where, because I was stuck in this mentality a lot of kids that went to boarding school have, which is, I'm in boarding school, I was free, I was independent, my parents weren't there, that was so great, like, why would I go home? And I was also from Nigeria, I went to London, like, London's so great, and I went to America, like, why would I go home? And I was in that place, and my, it was a very simple response my mom gave me, which was, this is home, and if you don't do it, Imagine, and you're a rational, like, compassionate person. Like, imagine what the next person's thinking who had the opportunity to get out, so to speak. Right. But I think it's almost useless, in my opinion, having been sent to some of the best schools in the world, got all this information, been given the right tools, told how to network, told how to articulate yourself and everything, to then stay out in the world and use all that information for the world and forget where you came from. Right. And so after that conversation, it really became one of the biggest factors in all my decision making is like when do I make that move home like really move home and live there and I want to raise my kids there the same way I was raised there I want to help build the infrastructure I think there's limitless potential in Nigeria like I want to be able to right. set up an entertainment practice I think entertainment is going to become one of our biggest exports really so there's going to, they're going to need people already need lawyers like there's a problem with, with piracy there's and all the same issues that are going to come when we do become more and more developed that right. the West is already dealing with, we're going to have those too. So I want to be one be of the And they'll be the same people. people waiting to prey on all the upcoming exactly. people the same way they're preying on Americans now. And, and if all the, all the wealthy families send all their kids to boarding school and then they live in London and live in Paris and live in New York, who, what happens, what happens to, to Nigeria? Nigeria? Like that, so th it, it just became always... I, I knew at that point that, okay, at some point I'm going to have to suck it up and go home and I'm going to have to build something. And and last thing I'll say on that is I'm reading my grandfather's autobiography at the moment, which it took me, really? it's from 2002. It took me way too long to read it. But seeing everything that he did directed by how can I help my country? Like, 
I don't even know, and we have the same name, and that's that's a that's a whole different podcast to talk about that story. But I've always felt like a certain connection and disconnect with my grandfather, just because he's one generation back. So his perception of stay in school, get the degree, do be a lawyer is a little stronger than my parents. My parents kind of understand the music thing a little more, but reading this book is making me understand why he is so stuck on that because of how much he did in his life for his family, his community, immediate local community, and this country blows my mind. And, and I could see the so. same thing. I mean, from the story you're telling, at, at the point when you do return home to Nigeria, I mean, you're going to have skill sets and knowledge that, exactly. that are going to be just so valuable to those communities yeah. back there. I mean, you could the, the amount that you could offer back to the community your your grandfather would be blown away. Like, there's no doubt. You know what I, I mean? Hope, that, I hope so. He was at this age, when I'm reading, man, the things he was doing at this age make me feel like I'm sleeping. That's, well, we have to, because, you know, I used to do that it's too. Crazy. I used to do that too, is like compare myself to like, well, where was my dad? At this, where yeah. was my grandfather? <laughs> but you know what? They, they were living in a different time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like back then, if you were, 22 and you didn't have six kids like what are you doing you know what i mean like Like, yeah it's like what the other guy's got seven you don't even have five yet what's going yeah things do change a little bit but but that's awesome man well listen this was a great interview i i'm really excited to hear your story i'm excited to see where this is going to go tell tell everybody where they can find you i want to hear like like what's the website where the album is going to be for sale all that kind of stuff um so on social media everything is dap the contract d-a-p the contract or one word on twitter instagram Facebook page, SoundCloud, and my website is dapthecontract.com as well. Oh, that's easy. Every, everything will be on there. And I'm on streaming services, Dap the Contracts, my name is on Apple Music, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Um, and the new project, I'm not sure where it's going to live yet. That's another thing I'm thinking very carefully about because as a visual album, I think there's a lot of value in where it's placed and the demographic it's sort of Absolutely. primarily directed to. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure where that's going to live yet, but it'll probably be on some kind of website promoted hopefully by some known platform um but every, everything yet i don't I actually okay i'm in the middle of painting things <laughs> so i can carry them places to shoot videos i don't want to give away too much but uh, okay. i'm still in the middle of getting everything together and completing the creative side of it yet so i haven't actually got onto the more business marketing side because i want to focus again doing everything yourself you got to you got to learn how to delegate to yourself. So Delapo, the businessman, he's going to come to work in September. He's off on holiday for now. <laughs> Delapo, the creative, okay. is getting the work finished so that that can happen smoother and more directly. Dude, so. th- well, that's, that's actually a great place. We might have to talk a little bit off camera. You might have to give me some advice yeah. because that's, you know, those are some of the things that I'm trying to navigate as well. I'm trying to do a creative project, but it's like I'm doing this solo, so I got to take care of all the business stuff and set up all the yeah, online infrastructure and plan the tour and play logistics yeah. and do... And it's like, okay, how do I prioritize this? One human being. Yeah, like you wake up in the morning and it's like, okay, you open up your computer and it's like, where do I even start right now? (laughs) But um, but dude, I totally admire what you're doing. Can't wait to see it. And um, thank you for doing this too and giving artists the opportunity to speak about what they're doing and learn from each other. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Well, thank you for having, thank you for coming on, and I'm. I would love to have you back like after you Absolutely. release the next album. I'd love to see how you're progressing and everything like that. And uh, Absolutely. we'll have to do this again, man. All right. Dap the Contract, ladies and gentlemen. DapTheContract.com is, yeah. is where it's at. And Dap the Contract on all the social media. Everything. Yeah. All right, Dap. Thank you thank so you. much, brother.
All right, guys, that's it for this week of the Jason Juliet podcast. Please join me next week where I'm going to be talking to Gene McCalka. Gene is actually the host of the Talking Space podcast, and he is another person that I met at Podcast Movements this summer. And me and Gene actually did an impromptu interview right there at the uh, show. They had a nice booth set up. And we only had 30 minutes, and I can't wait to get Gene back on the show for a full interview. But until then, I think you guys are going to love the episode next week. Again, that's Gene McCalka. And I'd like to thank my guest this week, Dap the Contract, for everything that he did, for inviting me into his home, for just agreeing to do the podcast in general. Check all of his stuff out at dapthecontract.com. You can link to that in the show notes. And listen, if you know a musician or an artist or someone creative who maybe needs help coming up with the backup plan, have them listen to this episode. Please feel free to share this with anybody that you think would find it useful. Uh, That's pretty much why I'm doing this and what we're here for. So uh, thank you in advance if you do decide to do that. Also, a big thank you one more time to Heather Lemon and Andy Wilkerson. Thank you guys both so much. You are more appreciated than you know. And that's it for this week, guys. So until next time, I'll see you soon. Hey!